0: Finally, know got your first leadership gig, loving the new role, but feeling the pressure of your new responsibilities and all that expectation to perform. Well, don't worry, you're not alone. Crossing the chasm from a technical role to leadership, from doing stuff to managing and leading people is the toughest challenge any leader must make. Welcome to the Human Edge Show, the podcast dedicated to help you do just that, successfully cross the doing to leading chasm. Campbell Such here, Chief Chasm Crossing Guide. I've made all the mistakes, so you don't have to. I want to help you learn those lessons much more easily by sharing my experiences and talking with brilliant people who have already figured it out. You'll get great actionable tips, strategies, and techniques to make the transition so much easier and faster for you. Now, let's get to it. Welcome to another episode of the Human Edge Show. Today, I'm honored to have Misty Landtroop on the show with me, Misty... Great to have you, thanks for coming on.
1: Thanks, Campbell, for having me, I'm thrilled to be here.
0: Misty is, New- is the New Zealand Managing Director for Palo Alto Networks. She's passionate about protecting all New Zealanders' way of life in the digital age by working to ensure each day is safer and more secure than the one before. Misty is a proud dual citizen of New Zealand and the United States. She spent nearly 20 years in senior leadership roles at both Fortune 100 companies and early stage startup organizations. This includes 12 years at Microsoft, where she rose to the role of Chief of Staff for Microsoft's worldwide partner group based in Washington, before moving to New Zealand as Microsoft's director, small and mid-market solutions and partners. Misty began her career in the field of journalism and communications as a news director and field reporter at a Fox Television affiliate. She has a sincere passion and appreciation for the art of storytelling, which has been the driver behind the work she's done helping children with learning differences find their voice. Misty, great to have you on the show. Perhaps you could just start off by telling us something that not too many people would know about you.
1: Yeah, I um I thought about this a little bit and I was going to go into more detail around when I was a television reporter and I um, which a lot of people actually don't know that, even though it is in my bio. And I was the co-host of a morning show called The Breakfast Break. And then as soon as I usually shared that, then people were like, oh, wow, that's so cool. And I'm like, yeah, but I think our biggest viewership was the local prison. <laughs> at a, at a, um, I went to Texas A&M University in Texas, and there's a little town called Bryan. Uh, Bryan College Station is where it was at. And so so, um, yeah, there's a a lot of funny stories, a little bit like a sitcom that happened during that time. But um, yeah, a lot of people don't know that that's what actually started my career.
0: Wow, and uh, and so did what was your what was your did you have a specific focus or any particular interest in the in that in the journalism and and the work that you did on that on that show?
1: Yeah, so I was a I was getting my degree in journalism, a, a double degree in journalism and communications, and I'd worked for the campus. Um, radio station called Campus Journal. And then it also had just been very involved in the journalism department and used to teach video editing. This is before, this is when we had the manuals and I'm going to age myself a bit, all the annual <laughs> med- um, editing base, And so um, the AVID stuff kind of came into play and I got to learn all of that, which I thought was really cool at the time. And then I, would, um, I was a teaching assistant for my professor and I loved all the behind the scenes stuff, but I got this role as the on-air talent and I use that word very loosely <laughs> um and it um it was fun uh, and actually the my producer at the time who's still one of my best friends Marla who's um in Texas so it's just one of those times in your life that um even though it was quite random and a bit bizarre but it taught me a lot during um a very early age and um, just I was actually still at uni and then I finished and, and went on to um keep doing that role and then just decided really quickly that I couldn't stand doing the on-air, being in front of the camera, was much better behind the scenes.
0: And uh, so would that be true that perhaps Marla, was it Marla, was that your producer? Yeah. Was one of your early introductions to a leader that you, well, obviously you still have a friendship, so perhaps someone that you looked up to and, and perhaps learned a lot from?
1: Yeah, Absolutely um sometimes what not to do <laughs> and I say that with a lot of love and care um, she wasn't really into managing people and she kind of let people know that as well which was quite funny um, but she just did you know she did what she needed to do for the role but you definitely always knew where you stood with Marla and you still do to, to this day which I love that about her
0: yeah it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because we, we talk about learning from experience, and some of the best things we learn are the things not to do. And and uh, and early early on, perhaps it was some of those things that you've now brought forward uh, as not to do's in your in your leadership roles as you've gone gone through. So, just casting your mind back to your early days in leadership, Misty, can you just talk us a little bit th- a, a bit about how you made that transition and and what this, the scenario was and and what you found that uh, that helped you make the transition and perhaps some of the things that you learned that you might um, do differently as a result of, of, uh, of your experience.
1: Yeah, so I actually was thinking about this the other day. I was having another conversation with one of my employees on a similar topic. And very early on in my life, I had some very unique leadership experiences. So my family has had their own company for most of my life. And so I learned a lot from my dad and just Free labor, as I used to tell him that he would get us to be able to do. But then kind of some random um, things happen. So as an example, when I was 15, then I ran a a kolache bakery, a Czechoslovakian bakery in Texas. And the only reason I ended up running this bakery was because it was a family friend who owned it and he was going through a tough time personally. And I did everything. I I got there at four o'clock in the morning I had staff. I made sure that everything was baked on time. And I mean we closed at midday and my brother would come as well because my dad, there's no way he would have let me go there by myself at that early hour. Um, and the only reason I bring that up and there's a couple of other instances as well as including what I was talking about with um, when I was a teaching assistant at university that I think. The, some of those experiences prepared me because I mean if you can imagine I was 15 16 years old running a clutch bakery and I had people that were in their 20s 30s sometimes 40s that were reporting to me um, and that was really tough and to even to be able to have that earn that respect as a teenager which sounds bizarre I know looking back then I definitely tell my daughter now who will be 15 in a year's time like don't do that <laughs> like don't you um there's no reason to try to grow up that quickly but I was just very very motivated and very passionate about that. And I love people and I love being able to help, which was why I also was fine to be able to help this family friend that was going through a rough time. So when I was at Microsoft, then I had an opportunity to take a role as um, a director for sales in the Western region. So the Western 14 states to run the Microsoft Dynamics business. So at the time, um, so ERP, CRM, and but it was all very new to Microsoft. And so it was very kind of startup and very scrappy. So we had to hustle a lot in the enterprise. So it was kind of taking these products into the enterprise. So I turn up, I think I was 28, 29 years old at the time. And all of the people that worked for me were um, way older. They had 20, had almost as much experience as I had as my age. And so I was really nervous about that. And what I did was I just went and um, front footed it basically with them and just, you know, said, this is why I think I was hired for this role, because I understand Microsoft, I understand how to deal with people, customers. And um, I said, but I need to learn from you. So let's, you know, let's make this a partnership together. So you all are going to be way smarter than when they're coming from SAP and Oracle and at the time, a bunch of companies that don't exist anymore and um, that have all combined and PeopleSoft and that was very um, it was nerve wracking. Like I remember the first time that I had a meeting with the team and at the time we were quite small, so we went from four people to 30 when I left. And I could just tell when I walked into the room, the look on their face, like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Who is this person that's not going to be able to do anything? And so I think going into it with a lot of um, authenticity. So I will probably repeat that word a lot of being authentic and just not pretending that you're somebody that you're not. And so I just tried to very quickly say, you know, this is where I think I do well. But here's where I need help. And I also, um, at that time, I had a lot more um, hangups around imposter syndrome and those types of things. And especially being a female, young, in IT, it didn't matter. And so I had all these things, all these insecurities. And as time went on, then um, I think I was actually able to share some of that with them, which also made me super real. And they, they had no idea um, that... Um, that I had, you know, some of those thoughts in my head, and yeah, and I guess and the only other thing is to quickly show how you can add value to them, especially if there's if you're managing a sales team, they're pretty coin operated, and so if you can quickly show them how you can add value um, to them, then and for them, then I think that that goes a long way.
0: Yeah, well, that, that's really interesting. It is. It, it, it's interesting. So was your background previous to that in sales? Um did you come out of a sales role into a sales management role?
1: I did. So I joined Microsoft as a business development manager for Office and Windows. Again, this is going just goes back so long ago. And at the time, then I they basically said, we need to start getting into talking to business decision makers and instead of just um, sitting by the fax machine and collecting orders, So we actually need to be able to have a real conversation. And because I had experience in doing that, um, then that's why they hired me for that role. So I was actually the first one at Microsoft to do that role globally. And then we built out a team. And then um, so that was kind of a startup thing, which I like startup world. And then we went into um, they developed the retail industry solution group and retail vertical. I joined that team. Again, it was a startup type thing. And then the attractiveness to me for the dynamics business was definitely that it was startup world, it felt like for Microsoft. The piece that I feel like someone took a chance on me um, and I know he did, I know he took a chance on me, that um, that was the part was the the leadership part of it. Not that I didn't feel like I wasn't leading before because I think as a sales leader, and I don't know if we'll get into the whole, there's a lot of managers out there that are not leaders (laughs) as, as we think we've all met them. And there's a lot of leaders out there that are not managers. And so that's something that is, I think, a lot of people don't really get or understand. And um, yeah, so that was, for me, that was the my background was I knew how to get things done at Microsoft. And I also had a, um, a unique skill, people thought at the time, of being able to get access to the C-suite, which back in that time um, wasn't as... Popular of a skill set at Microsoft and so that was just something that um that I and 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 then being able to kind of help the team within that place because if you can imagine the people that I was um they're going to report into me they they had to be able to get to the c-suite whenever you're selling those types of business applications so
0: yeah well that's uh Man, there's a whole bunch in there to unpack, Misty. So I'd like to just kind of wind wind that back a bit and just ask you a couple of questions about some of the things that you talked about. Um, you talked about authenticity, and you said you, can, you use that word quite often. One of the big challenges I find with with this term authenticity is it's kind of become a bit of a almost like a cliche and but I get the feeling from you that there's that you have a real kind of sense of what authenticity means. And you, you touched on a little bit, which was, which is putting yourself out there. And you went to the, you know, when you first went into that role, you went to the people that you were that you had reporting into you and said, Hey, this is, this is why I think they put me here. And, um, and I need your help. And could you just talk to me a little bit about what you mean by authenticity and how a leader that's looking to develop that for themselves might, might, be a little bit more authentic or or work towards that?
1: So we all hear the term fake it till you make it, which I say that as well, kind of as a joke. But I think it's probably the opposite of that. And maybe when I think of authenticity, then I really try hard. Actually, I don't try hard. I think it just comes naturally to just be me. And so just to not, um, when I go into a situation, whether it's a meeting with a customer or with employees or what have you, I mean, we obviously have our own, um, you know, we change a bit and there's different personas and things that you might act a little bit differently towards. But I think if you were to ask five people in my life or however many people, then you'll probably get very similar answers as far as what they think I am. I don't kind of have a different facade for different situations. And so on the authenticity to me is, is probably most importantly that you are really thinking about what, uh, who you're speaking with and who you're around and that you actually care. And I know I'll also say some things too, that not everyone agrees with, but the, I don't, I think it's a good thing to lead with love and to lead with grace and empathy. And I said this at a, a I was a, speaking at a Asia pack, um, leadership conference it's around this time last year actually and I remember and it was a um a panel and everyone on the panel was way more senior than I am and in way bigger roles and across um, Asia Pacific and and I remember making this statement and I had so many people reach out to me I probably had about 50 I don't know there are a thousand or so folks that were on the call and um and they were like we are so grateful that you said that that's something that you stand by to lead with love and to be kind and and I know cuz it's sometimes from a leadership perspective or in different roles and people are like oh you've got to kind of be you know um super hard or um yeah but I don't think you have to I don't think you have to be that and it's yeah anyway it's it's something for me that uh I don't really think about being authentic all the time I think you just are authentic if you have to overthink it then it's you're that's probably not um, authenticity
0: in my in, in my opinion yeah and, and perhaps perhaps one of the things that well that i've got out of that um is that you're talking into how you f- how you're feeling and and how you assess the situation rather than trying to put this facade up of being everything's under control i fully know what's going on as opposed to hey we're in this together i'm i've got i've got this role which is the kind of the the leader of the but but i can't do it without you and and that's more around the authenticity, which is, which is why you, you you know, you you present this, always present Misty. Would that be, would that be a fair comment?
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, yeah, no, 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 no. I think it is. And I'm human. I mean, obviously I have some some things I just had to speak recently at a conference and, and I always get super nervous and it doesn't matter how many times I've done it or how big the audience is. And then I had to remind myself, so these are like little conversations I have within my own head of, it doesn't matter like you're going to you're so much more worried about like what what happens what if you if you fall down as you're walking up there then hopefully you won't get hurt but it will probably be funny um if it, and i think also to not taking yourself very seriously so and just being able to have a laugh um at your own expense which i do that all the time and i i do that in my personal life and my work life and i do i just don't really take things super seriously you know there's a time to be serious don't get me wrong but for the most part then i think that there should be a lot of lightheartedness and fun wrapped up life's just too short and um, to not have
0: that yeah and you spend a lot of time at work right so yeah, you uh, yeah. <laughs> keeping it a bit lighter when you can is a is a really good thing uh, one of the other things you talked about was imposter syndrome and I'd like to just dig into that a little bit because that's um, I, I believe that's a really big deal and, and it comes back to that you know the, the facade that we tend to put across the front which is hey I've been put into this role therefore the person that's put me there thinks that I can do it, as opposed to they're giving me a chance, taking a a chance on me, and then to help me um, succeed and grow and and as a leader. But I, I mean, I've been there with imposter syndrome. How how did you how was it for you, and what did you do to try and help alleviate? Because it's a it can be quite it can be incredibly debilitating and make you feel really alone. What how have you handled imposter syndrome and and is there anything there that you'd advise for leaders that are going through or feeling inadequate or feeling, wondering why they should be there, uh, what you might advise them?
1: I just had this exact conversation recently with a young lady that I've been mentoring for a while, super talented, and I just told her, "said you are way more talented and clever and amazing than you give yourself credit for, and we had this whole discussion around imposter syndrome. And I told the story again, going back to that time it was quite a pivotal time for me in my late twenties when I took on that role. Prior to that role, then I had just won an award at Microsoft. And at the time when Bill Gates was a lot more involved and it was the chairman's award. And so I got to have dinner with him and photos and all that kind of stuff. But I didn't think I was deserving of that award, not because I didn't think I'd done a good job, but I was like, gosh, I'm getting a lot of credit as the sales rep, but there's actually a big, massive team that's helped to make all this happen. So I had a real hard time kind of coming to grips with it. And then I got asked to do this role and, or asked to interview. And then I went and interviewed and competed and, and was able to get the role. And somebody said to me, and they were maybe joking, maybe it was uh, uh, maybe not joking about um, that I, because I had relationships with executives. That's why I won the chairman's award, and then that's why I had um, been afforded this opportunity at such a young um, age. And it really um, hurt, and I didn't even really know how to um, take it. It was in a kind of a, a social setting, sort of, and but it definitely played into that whole my whole imposter syndrome um, kind of stuff that was in my head. So it probably took me way too long. So five, six years to get through and actually think, yeah, actually I deserve that role. (laughs) I worked really hard for that role. I was really successful. The team was really successful. We did a good job for the company. And then that, you know, kind of catapulted into my next role and next roles and, and those types of experiences. And I think taking people's feedback, if it's negative with a grain of salt, and also understanding that, in in, in hindsight, I have no idea, the person who made that comment to me, what she was going through in her life at that time, and that comment was probably more of a reflection upon herself, versus having anything to do with me, and so, um, so yeah, so that's, that's probably how I've dealt with that, more so than um, than anything, but I do encourage, and the young lady that I'm mentoring, I was like, if you can just get rid of fire, you know, kill imposter syndrome or whatever that's going on in your head, is sooner rather than later, it will free you so much because it is really draining. It's extremely draining, and um, and I don't really find that I have it as much anymore. There will be some times I'll get asked to do something that. I find it it's probably more nervousness than anything else. And also just not wanting to let people down who I feel like are asking me to do something um, that's maybe outside of my comfort zone. But yeah, imposter syndrome is a horrible, horrible thing that um, it's just good to, to just kill it as soon as you can.
0: (laughs) Did you, did you um, have any tactics or strategies for, for killing it? Was it reaching out to other people? Did you just, Kind of work it through in your own head. Was there anything specific you did there? I just think it's such such a big deal for so many people, and and so many of us, especially new in leadership. But as we grow and get bigger and bigger roles, it can keep coming back. And um, my experience personally is I tended to to keep it inside. Where actually I've found it's better to talk about it. And one hundred percent, outside and 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 go. Don't be stupid. You know. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. It, um, I think you're spot on Campbell. Absolutely. That being able to talk about it, I think surrounding yourself with good, strong leaders, good people that you can give you a straight answer and be honest about what's happening, but then also to when you're being too hard on yourself or or feeling a bit insecure about something, or you letting the imposter syndrome stuff take over then just to, kind of you know pull your head in and I mean not not that you're saying that to yourself but your friends having people around you that can can have that and also that will take that feedback as well. So having that um going both ways. I mean I've got some very very fortunate to have some really close girlfriends and and some I've um, kind of my best friends are men as well. And it and the nine times out of 10 like probably the the common thread or theme throughout all those relationships is we are so upfront and blunt. Sometimes brutally honest with things, but I always take that with knowing that they do that because they care about me and vice versa. So I think having um, good strong mentors and also just being able to have at least a couple of people in your life, or even just one that you know that you can go to and get a straight answer um, out of that. So yeah, it took it, it took me way too long. If I had that to do over again. Then I would have tried to work my way out of that, whether that's through, um, you know, getting a coach or a therapist or something, just to to kind of get that out of my brain. Because it's typically some sort of baggage that you're carrying that's kind of you know brought you to that point anyway. But if you can figure that out, um, then I, yeah, it's just it's very freeing.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I, that that sounds really powerful to me, and and it kind of comes back to that whole connection piece and being able to early on in your in your career. Leadership career, whichever way you go in your career, is to have people around you who can both advise you around where perhaps you um, could make better decisions, but also um, help point you at the things that you're missing completely, and and um, that you trust, and that you know that they're going to give you the 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 honest advice. And it's not something that's not just something that you have with anyone, right? There's there's a few relationships that you build and grow over time that uh, that can really help with that. Um, yeah. there's, a, there's a saying that goes something like, and I'm going to completely mess this up, but you know, don't take criticism from anyone you wouldn't take advice from, and yeah. uh, it's you know, it's a it's a it's a really perhaps a way to, to frame it up.
1: Yeah, no, um, I completely agree. It's kind of like this is a little bit of a non sequitur, but it reminds me of a little bit. If you're shopping and you decide you want to buy a new outfit, don't ever buy an outfit. That that's on sale that you wouldn't pay for full price. That's uh-huh. yeah. so very, there's <laughs> a little bit in a, in a different different way to look at it.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's putting a bit of space between the the impulse and the decision, right? Yeah, which,
1: 100%. Which, yeah. That's
0: a brilliant metaphor for so many of the decisions that we make where we uh, we make impulse decisions where if we step back and just had either someone look in from the outside or took it, you know, that's why sleeping on it's so powerful because you can come back and have a look at it in a cold light a day. And, and perhaps another reason why when, when you feel like you want to do something like yell at someone or send a really grumpy... I was about end. to
1: say, always wait to hit send <laughs> or <laughs> send it to somebody else and say, what do you think? I have my team does that all the time. They'll send me if they're upset about something or and they'll say, what do you think about this? And so um, just to make sure that it doesn't sound too harsh or
0: mean or, or what have you yeah 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 it's really easy for written communication in particular to have because it's got no context around it um, we tend to read it more negatively than, than than is intended probably by the person and then it, and so you kind of have to step the level of positivity up to get it to neutral and if you're grumpy and you send something that's slightly grumpy it can be read really badly and end up <laughs> blowing <them>. yeah <laughs> <laughs> um the other one of the other things that you talked about was management or managing versus leading, uh, and that we have you can have a really good manager who's not a good leader, or you can have a good manager that's not a good leader, and you can have a good leader who's not a good manager. What's what's? Perhaps you could just talk a little bit into that, so that so I can get a feel for, and anyone that's listening can get a feel for the difference and and how um, you might become good at both.
1: Okay, so I'll start with. Some experiences of not good management, which I do think it's challenging. If you're not a good manager, you're typically not a good leader. I think those two need to kind of those are kind of go in the same thing. But um, you will have some really great leaders who are not managing, not managing actually managing people. So one of the things that I had a manager at one stage, and every single time we would have a one-on-one, if they didn't cancel it then the whole time that we'd be talking, they would be on the, their computer and not taking notes out of all the wonderful things coming out of my mouth. It was just um, completely being like answering emails or doing something. So just seemed completely disinterested. And I think that kind of ties back to if you don't actually want to manage people, because you're not, you're t- if you're not interested in that actual job, don't do it. And because you won't get to the leadership piece that, you want to get to and you'll and it'll be unfulfilling for you as well. And so there's no reason to to go and do that. From a leadership perspective, then I think it's one of those things that um, I always ask myself when someone's having uh, having a challenging time from a leadership perspective, have they ever really been taught the skills or how to Exercise that muscle, so to speak, in um, in our brains, and it, and it's it's a bit challenging. I mean, I've got a situation right now at work that, um, you know, there's a there's we've got some man, new managers, and and they're struggling. And I was having this conversation with one of my leaders, and said we haven't taught them how to manage, and. They actually have good leadership skills, but they're getting drowned, they're drowning in management right now. And it's, they knew how to do leadership from an individual contributor role, which should translate. However, if you get bogged down into some of the management stuff and we haven't actually taught you principles or management excellence and those types of things, then it's really hard to calibrate that. And so we have to, I think it, it's, we're doing a disservice if, we're, if we don't as leaders, help bring others along and then remind yourself you were that you were in that position at one stage you know you're not born to say I'm gonna go and lead this that doesn't come out I mean some people are more naturally born leaders yes I, I agree with that however even the most natural leaders on the planet guarantee you they will not tell you that it's just been a an epiphany with no experience and no point of reference so we all have to to learn and kind of start somewhere so I always typically ask, do they even realize? So, are they consciously incompetent or are they unconsciously incompetent? And I know that sounds really harsh to say incompetent. However, it's a big, it's a good um, measurement to find out how you can possibly help because if somebody's unconsciously incompetent, it's gonna be really hard to help them unless they are open to that type of feedback, sorry, opposite of that. If someone's, if somebody's unconsciously incompetent, you can probably have a chance at being able to help them from a leadership. But if they're consciously incompetent, or they think that they're smashing it, and they're just, you know, kind of wreaking havoc all over the place, it makes it super, super challenging. And so I think um, just having that openness and being able to help, others, um, in in this example that I'm talking about from a work perspective, then none of these people report into me, but I want them, I want us to have good leadership at Palo Alto Networks. I want us to build good, strong people. I mean, the best thing about this company is the culture. And if all of us, the only reason why culture stays good is by people caring. And so.
0: Yeah. How do you define the difference between leadership and management, Misty? (laughs) So, I'm trying to put you on the spot, because if I asked 100 people, I'd probably get 100 different answers, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm just interested in your view.
1: So when I think of management, then I think of kind of a textbook terminology. You're managing people, and that is in all the different lovely things that go along within that as far as pay rises and all the uh, administrative type things that have to um, happen within that performance reviews, which actually shouldn't be administrative, should be a meaningful conversation. But um, but there's a, and some people actually take a job because they think that's the only way I can progress in my career is via management. But I have lots of conversations with people around, um, don't do that if you don't actually enjoy managing. As I mentioned earlier, if you don't really enjoy that piece of it. And, and don't do it because, um, it is, it's, it's, it can be exhausting, especially depending upon the people that you're managing. And so that's kind of a, um, I, I look at that as like, it's just a, I was going to say a job. I know they're all jobs or whatever, but management is just kind of a role, a job leadership to me is not, I know a lot of people are like, a, like inspirational leaders and all those different types of things, but it's more of, um, when I think about leadership, then typically it's, what legacy are you looking to leave? Not that I even, I'm just, as those words came out of my mouth and I don't actually think like that, but I, um, I'm i trying to put in my head how when I think about um, leadership overall, then it's during this time or during, um, what are the things that you can do that are going to actually inspire people to be happier, healthier, better, um you know from a contribution to themselves to society to their families and so that kind of humanistic piece of it that's what i think about leadership and typically the leadership piece will turn into results it's kind of like when people talk about do i focus on strategy or do i focus on culture And I always say culture first, and I know that there's the whole, you know, people way smarter than me have written books and all that stuff around that. It's a similar type thing. Do I focus on leadership or do I focus on management? Well, you've got to kind of focus on both. But if you're in a position um, and you from, as I mentioned, anyone can be a leader. And and that's the thing that I think people don't quite understand, that it's actually um, something I'm just going back and thinking of past experiences of some of the most amazing leaders that um, I've worked for, and they just had a sincere passion about people and and growing um, people and being able to help um, and as but they but also quite hard charging and you know had big bold goals and all those different types of things. So um, yeah, it's a it's a um, it's a conversation I think that should be talked about a lot more, especially with people who are in those types of positions.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so that, so from your perspective, the, the management's more the administrative piece, the kind of the, the structural piece, whereas the the leadership's around obviously going forward and setting the vision and taking people on the journey with you, but it's really centered around the humanistic part of the of of your team as opposed yeah. to Yeah,
1: yeah, no, absolutely. Like as an example, uh, most US multinationals are quite matrixed in countries and we're the same at Palace Networks, the same at Microsoft. And at, and so I don't, as the leader for New Zealand, then I don't have every single person that reports directly into me. But if you ask anybody, um, although I always tell them that I work for them probably more than they work for me, but the um, I definitely everyone treats me as if I'm the leader of the um, of the organization. And however. I also have, um, we have such a high level of trust on the team that I think is super important and a super massive component ingredient to leadership that they also know that if there's something that they need to talk to me about, whether it's something that I've done to upset them or they disagree or what have you, then you've got to be able to have that kind of open communication as well. So it's not like, and when I think of leadership and sometimes people think, of it as a hierarchy, so like leadership way up here and everyone else way down. But I just I think all that's BS. And so you, um, I mean, at the end of the day, someone has to front up and do the stuff that I guarantee nobody else on the team is probably going to want to do from a leadership perspective. However, it's not a it's not a hierarchical thing at all. It's um, and I and they know that I can't do my job unless they're successful, and that I'm completely going to have their back. On anything that they want to do so I think those are just some those are just kind of the way just kind of natural things that I think natural skills that leaders um should have and, and the great leaders that I've worked with and had the good fortune of being able to be influenced by then they've all had that in spades.
0: Yeah yeah. I, I, there's, a, there's a bunch of things that have come out from your comments Misty and um that trust and there's a although you haven't used the word, that kind of sense of safety. So you've got people's backs, um, that they can have a robust conversation with you without fear of reprisal, because it's the, you know, the most important thing is what's right, not who's right. And and it often isn't me, and if I'm talking personally about me, it's often not me, it may be someone else, and often is someone else that's got all the answers. Hopefully I've got a few of the questions. Um just before we just before we wrap up, a couple of things. Um in terms of one of one of the one of the big challenges is a lot of new leaders get put into a role, and uh, rather than being well supported across into that role, they've come out. They've been perhaps the best they the best technical person in the team, best salesperson, best network engineer, whatever their technical capability is, and they end up running the team without a whole lot of support. What advice would you give to leaders of of leaders that have just been put into new roles to help them? To help their new leader, they put in that role, uh, give them the best chance of success. So, so the, the the leader of the leader, what should they be doing to support that new leader into their into their role?
1: I think that's a really important question that we that probably is something that is underserved in action, because a lot of times a leader of leaders will automatically assume that that person that they put in that role, they've got that and that they're, they're fine. And that there's a reason they put them in there and they, or, you know, they're maybe quite um, confident in their decision making skills and what's made them successful. So I've just put this great person in and, and, and off, off we go. One thing I think to really pay attention to if it is a battlefield promotion. So if you are taking someone from a team and elevating them, to lead that team that they were just a peer of, then I think that you've got to really make sure that all the team dynamics and communication is very open and transparent and getting people to, um, you know, especially if you've had other people on the team that have gone for that role as well and being able to make sure that everyone has an opportunity to air out how they're feeling about things. And there'll be certain instances that someone might be so upset that they're gonna leave the team and that's life. And that's gonna, it's gonna um, happen in, in different times. But I always put things, I have a really simplistic way of thinking about things and that it comes back down to communication and being able to actually go into it with an open mind and being able to make sure that you're listening fully to everything that's going on, everything that's happening, active listening. and make sure that you're helping the new leader to actually put a plan in place and being able to front foot things. So if you're walking into a situation that might be a bit tricky like that, then role play with them, sit down and have that con- kind of, it sounds a bit cheesy, right. but I've done this so many times. And whether and front foot, all of those courageous conversations from the very beginning and the, the leader, the new leader of the team that, um, Coach them as their leader. This is your um, opportunity to go in and um, lead this team in the way that you see fit. And I'm here. I've got your back. I'm here to to catch you if you fall, or to let's you know have our own conversation to be able to to go through some some tough situations within the team or, or what have you. So um, yeah, I it is different. It um, it is different. I think managing. Um, managers or managing leaders, leaders managing leaders, but I think that there's still a lot of principles just from an overall leadership perspective that can be used um, within within that piece as well.
0: Yeah, great. Yeah, keep the commu- make sure that the communication lines are open. Make sure that the new leader you've put into that role. Uh, recognises they can come and have a conversation with you and that maybe they can even t- hopefully, ideally, they can talk to you about some of the fears and frustrations and doubts that they have about their ability to do the job, the reason why they're even in the role, you know, going back to that whole imposter syndrome thing. Sounds like that's the kind of thing that you really want to set up with a with, between a, a leader's leader and the new leader so that they've got a um, an environment that they've got a chance to to grow and learn quickly and rather than having to flounder around and, and work it out for themselves. Yeah, and, and
1: bring in outside consultants if you need to. Um, when I came here originally with Microsoft and I brought in a an outside um, group, I mean, it was quite a uh, it was different culturally. I'm moving from the States. Who's this American lady that's come in and why do we not hire someone within the country? And anyway, it, and so I, I just kind of tackled it um, head on to say, um, you know, this is um, let's, what, what team, what do we want to be about as a team? So helping someone who's got a new team to be able to do that. And again, just kind of underemphasize. make sure that they know that you've got their back and that you're there to help them and that you're all, you know, we're all on one team together. So, and also too, don't take things so seriously. I always have a saying that's like, we're not curing cancer. We're not doing open heart surgery at the end of the day. Let's get on with this because it's. um is, is it really that important? Are we really getting hung up on things that are not that important?
0: So. Yeah. Oh, that, Misty, that's fantastic. Just <laughs> before we wrap up, is there anything that I haven't asked you that I should have?
1: <laughs> the only <laughs> thing I was just curious about is: like, is leadership fun? So I, or is leading fun? So that was something that I um, was thinking about earlier. That that's probably a question I would have asked. But I always ask the fun factor of everything in life and. I think it can be. I think it should be. If it's not fun, then you probably need to reevaluate what you're doing and um, and interject some fun into it.
0: Yeah, brilliant. Misty, that's been fantastic. Appreciate your openness and and great insight and, and wisdom. Thanks very much. And uh, look forward to having you back on the show at some point.
1: Thanks, Campbell.
0: It's been great. See you. Thanks for listening. If you have a friend or a colleague who would benefit from this episode, please pass the word along. If you have a friend or a colleague who would not benefit, but you haven't been in touch with them for a while, give them a call. iTunes reviews are great to get the word out and to help me create the show that's most useful for you. And if you're frustrated or having challenges or would like some help, guidance, assistance with your first leadership role, then check out integrationcatalyst.com in the link in the podcast notes below. Or pass this on to your boss to nudge them to get you the help you really need to cross the doing to managing chasm and get you powered up on your leadership and management journey. Oh, and if you want to make sure you don't miss an episode, hit subscribe. Until next time.